Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast from Clare Church. If you'd like more information or the chance to donate online, please visit clarechurch.com. We are in Acts chapter 8, towards the end of the chapter here. And we read about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The first thing I want to do is point out that the, we finished the first half of our, our series, which was in the name of Jesus. Now we're starting the second half of our series in the power of the Spirit. And this point of the series is kind of an Easter series. What does it mean that Jesus is alive for us today in our lives? And so we talked about the power in the name of Jesus Christ. And now we're going to talk about in the power of the Spirit, and following the Spirit. So we're in Acts chapter 8. The first thing I want to do is point out some things that are going on in the story here. Because we read the story about Philip. The Ethiopian is a pretty happy, upbeat story that uh, Philip's able to obey God's promptings to be in a certain place at a certain time, to be in a certain guy who happens to be reading a certain piece of scripture and to be able to connect all those together. And he's like, hey, there's some water. Why don't we get baptized? And everybody's happy, right? Uh, I think we need to back up a little bit and realize just exactly what's going on here in the midst of the story of Acts. So the first half of the series, we were focused on uh, Peter and, was it John or James, one of the two, and and the healing that they had done outside there at the temple gate called Beautiful of that man. Um, and now the story's progressed a little bit further, and here's what's happened. Uh, there was a man named Stephen who was selected as what the Bible calls a, a deacon. And so basically his job was to take care of things while the apostles went out and preached and taught from place to place and focused on preaching and teaching. Uh, Stephen's job was to more take care of and nurture, nurture the people. Uh, one of the specific things that was to make sure that none of the widows were left out of the church. So... Stephen's doing his job, he's preaching, he's teaching, taking care of people, all those types of things, and uh, he ends up getting taken into custody and arrested for being a Christian, and he is stoned to death. And the guy named Saul, who later becomes also known as Paul, stands there and watches while all these folks stone Stephen to death. Now these are Stephen's kind of final words, this is the end of chapter 8. Stephen said, as he's being stoned, he says, look, I've, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So he's saying, look, I can see Jesus coming at me kind of thing. Uh, and then these are his last words. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which is a euphemism for he died. So as he's dying, similar to Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen says the same kind of thing. Hey, God, don't hold this against them. Don't hold this against them. Now he, even as the people who are killing him, he has compassion for the people who are throwing these stones at him and, and killing him and persecuting him. Doesn't that sound crazy? That sounds just crazy, ridiculous to me, but that's the faith in the power of the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit that the disciples were living by. That it was more important to them to continue to get the word out and to follow the instructions, the command, 
the prompting of Jesus Christ and his spirit than to have their very life. So, what happens after Stephen is stoned, chapter 8, uh, verse 1, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. So, if you've ever watched a sporting event, you'll know that a lot of times there's a sporting event a moment in the game where momentum shifts, right? That one team seems to be doing all the right things and winning, and then all of a sudden something really bad happens and momentum shifts the other way to the other team, right? Okay, that's what happens kind of here with the stoning of Stephen, that a great persecution breaks out against the church. So there's healings going on, great things happening, the spirit's flowing and working, and the stoning of Stephen happens, and a great persecution breaks out and it scatters the church everywhere. So it's like momentum shifted to the bad guys here. Okay? And the church is the good guys and the, the, the people throwing the stones here and the bad guys and the leaders and guys like Saul and all that. Momentum shifts. And so this can be a very hard, difficult moment for the church as they scatter out. Because there's strength when we come together in numbers. And there's kind of like, let's go into hiding and scatter out. But look at what happens. This is verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So what, what, what they thought was a momentum shift, the church took as an opportunity. Okay? But apply this to your life for just a minute. That sometimes something bad and difficult happens, but it can be an opportunity for something great to happen. I mean, this happens time and again throughout scriptures. One of my favorite stories of this is the story of Joseph. If you remember uh, the musical Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? Uh, that, this is a story from the Bible about Joseph. His dad kind of favored him and... Uh, made him this fancy coat, and he goes around bragging to his older brothers, hey, look at me and my fancy coat. God's got big plans for me. Well, the older brothers didn't like that very much, so they thought, hey, we got to shut this kid up. His head's getting too big. So they made a plan to kind of kill him, and then somebody's like, oh, no, no, no. How about let's pretend that he died, and we can sell him and make some money off this deal at the same time. So they sell him into slavery. They tell the dad that he's dead, and Joseph is at the very rock bottom of life as a slave, and even as a slave it gets worse, he gets arrested and thrown in prison. Okay? But over time, Joseph keeps obeying and listening to God all along the way, and slowly he begins rising up out of prison. Eventually he rises to the point where he is God's right, or where he's the Pharaoh's right hand man over Egypt, and the Pharaoh has trusted him to manage things in Egypt. And guess what happens? There's a famine in the land. Joseph had led them to prepare for the famine, and so they have food. Word gets out that Egypt has food. Guess who shows up at his doorstep? The same family, the same family that had sold him into slavery and pretended that he was dead. Now Joseph has a choice here. He has a choice. This is an opportunity. What am I going to do with this? 
He could have held on to a grudge and all of his bitterness and all of his hatred towards his family. But instead, he listened to God. And he says to them, you know what? You know what? You meant this for evil, but God intended it for good. And I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of. And so Joseph's family is taken care of. Joseph forgives them. And they move on in the goodness that God intended for them all along. Similar kind of thing happened here with the church. The stoning of Stephen deflated them. And it scattered them out. But they didn't quit listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. To the work of God. So, uh, this is where Philip comes in, verse 5. So Philip went down to a city. So he's scattered out from Jerusalem. He goes down to a city in Samaria, and he proclaims Christ there. So Philip was one of those that says, look, there may be a persecution going on. My life may be at risk, but that doesn't matter. God told me to preach the good news, and I'm going to do it. All right, so there's a few interesting stories here. Uh, through chapter 8 here with uh, Philip and his ministry. But we skip down here to Philip and the Ethiopian, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And what I found out was this was not a safe road. That this would have been a dangerous way to travel for one person all alone by themselves. In fact, uh, if you go back and you read Luke's gospel, you can read the story of a man who was traveling by himself on the road who was beaten up and left for dead. Right? That's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right? Beaten up, left for dead on the road. It was a dangerous thing to travel alone on this road. But yet, the angel... A messenger from God, that's what angel says, and, you know, a messenger from God can come in lots of different forms, okay? We think of angels with the, the pretty wings and things like that, but a messenger, angel means messenger from God. Sometimes it could be somebody in your life. It could be one of your own children that look you in the face and tell you something that you need to hear, and you're like, how in the world can you talk to me like that? But yet at the same time, it's something that you needed to hear, right? The phrase we use for that is out of the mouths of babes, right? Babes. There comes the truth. That there could be truth that somebody's trying to tell you. And it, so I don't want us to think that God never speaks with an audible voice. There are audible voices that you can hear. And I'm not talking about voices in your head. I'm talking about messages from God. People come up to me uh, after church on Sunday uh, or later that week and they'll say, hey, I really like what you said about this and this. I felt like God was really speaking to me. I was like, I said that? I don't remember saying that. You know, God has a way of using people to be messengers to us. All right, so I'm not doubting the fact. I'm not going to just count this out that says an angel of the Lord said to Philip goes out to God. Like, that's not out of the realm of possibility for me. That this really happens. And that somebody, an angel, a messenger from God came to Philip. And said, go south to the road. Now, Philip has a choice. What is he going to do? Is he going to sit and think and stew and say, oh, I don't know. It's really dangerous to travel alone on that road. My life could be in danger. Well, 
hold on a second. There's a great persecution that broke out. My life's already in danger. I got nothing to lose. I'm going to listen to God. You see, that's, if you hear anything else, I want you to hear this today. We need to get back to the point in our lives where the most important thing is being obedient to the Spirit of God in your life. Instead of pushing it to the side, instead of uh, putting my own agenda, you know, your own agenda as the number one thing to listen to, instead of just maintaining the status quo and what you're comfortable with and what you think is in the realm of possibility, get back to the point where you're willing to say and ask and truly mean it, genuinely, God, I want to listen to you what you have for me to do today. Because I think sometimes we go through life so fast, focused on such a destination that we're trying to get to. See, notice the spirit, this angel doesn't say, Philip, I want you to go on this road from this place to that place. He doesn't give Philip a destination. He just gives him a way to travel. He doesn't give him a destination. He just gives him a path to travel. I mean, isn't that life? Isn't that life? It's a path that we're traveling. And we get so focused on a destination that maybe we miss an opportunity to love one another. To love one another. All right. So, Philip goes on this road. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So Philip listens to the messenger, and goes on the path. And he's listening, and watching, and aware, and present. Now, there's three important things I think we learn about this Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, one, he's Ethiopian. Now, I don't think it means present-day Ethiopian in the study I did, that most likely simply represented an area of the Nile south, which the Nile is a big major river, runs through Egypt, right? Uh, south of Egypt. So a lot of people think it just represents Africa in general. Okay? So that's one thing to know about this guy. That it points out to us that he is Ethiopian or African. Okay? He, he stood out in some way to Philip. He didn't look like Philip. He knew that he was from somewhere else in the Middle East. He looked different. He was from Africa and Ethiopian. The second thing, he's a eunuch. He's a slave or a servant of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He, he uh, has been um, castrated, had his manhood removed from him because they needed to be able to trust him in the presence of the queen all the time and to manage her affairs. Okay? So um, he was a eunuch, he was Ethiopian, and he was a servant of Candace. Okay? So Ethiopian and a eunuch. The other thing is that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. At this time in history, there's only one group of people that would go to Jerusalem to worship, right? And that was the Jewish folks. 
So, some way, somehow, he was, had a Jewish faith that he was participating in, that he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, to what degree that was, it's hard to tell because the problem is, if he was super devout Jewish, he was not allowed to participate fully because he was a youth. Right? So if you go back and you read, I think it's Deuteronomy chapter 23, you know, if a man doesn't have all his parts, he's not allowed to participate fully in the worship and the practices in the temple. So, Ethiopian, eunuch, and some type of Jewish faith. Now, I was telling the kids a little bit ago about Timothy. Timothy, his mom was Jewish, but his dad was Greek. Okay, so there's other examples of people who were Jewish, kind of Jewish, kind of not, all right? And that's where this, this guy kind of was. And Philip meets him, and he's listening, and he's aware, an awareness of God and opportunities. And so, verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near. Notice how... When we read verse 26, it's an angel, a messenger from God, told Philip, go to the road, get on this path. Here is the Spirit telling Philip. And I think the distinction that we need to understand is sometimes there are angels and messengers, and I would say those are a lot more rare. Other times, there is the Spirit. The Spirit is always giving us nudges. Always trying to open our eyes to see who's around us. Always trying to get us to recognize opportunities for God's grace and mercy and love and power to flow through us. So Philip is in tune with the Spirit. In our lives, we need to get in tune with the Spirit so that we can be awake and alive and aware of what God is doing. So he feels and senses and hears the Spirit telling him, go up to that chariot. Notice, it says, then Philip ran up to the chariot. It didn't say he walked gingerly. It doesn't say he kind of drug his feet. It doesn't say he took his time, but he ran up to the chariot. Philip wanted to be obedient. Philip wanted to be obedient. I think the same kind of thing needs to be reflected in our lives. That God, I want to listen to and follow your spirit. First and most important. So he runs up to the chariot. And he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked him, do you even understand what you're reading? <clears throat> notice. Notice Philip doesn't jump into telling him what he's reading. Does it? First he listens and he hears what he's reading. And then he asks him a polite question. Do you understand what you're reading? He doesn't try to hit him over the head with the Bible or try to correct all the things that he's reading or try to just explain everything right away. He listens and he asks a question. So uh, the man responds, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. So you see how this interaction takes place, Philip is following the prompting of the Spirit. 
He's listening and aware when there's an opportunity, instead of telling, he asks a question. And he waits for an invitation. And the man invites him up. I'm not saying it's going to go the exact same way every time, but it seems to me that Philip was more interested in finding a way to relate with this guy than to set his mind straight. Now, somewhere down the road, maybe Philip wants to get to some teaching and help this guy understand things in a different way, in a new way. But to start off, it was about connecting, connecting with this Ethiopian where he was in that moment, where he was not just physically or geographically, but in his thinking and in his beliefs and in his faith. So he invites Philip to sit up there with him and they go through the scriptures. And the eunuch was reading this passage. It was a passage from Isaiah that says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Verse 33, in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asks Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, talking about himself or someone else? And from that point, Philip begins to explain the good news of Jesus Christ to this Ethiopian eunuch, to someone who was excluded and left out from the Jewish faith because of who he was, but yet still wanted to pursue the faith and know and understand, who still wanted to know something deeper about God. And he read this verse, and it, and it probably stuck out to him, that said, in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? Because the eunuch is humiliated, right? And he has no descendants, and he can't produce any descendants. And somehow, God lined things up to where Philip was there on that path at that time. At the moment that this man was on that path at that time, reading that passage of scripture. And Philip was able to make the connection for this man to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And to say, hey, it doesn't matter all the other ways that people have tried to exclude you. It doesn't matter all the ways that people have said, you can't be a part of what God is doing. Let me tell you what the prophet was talking about. He was talking about a man named Jesus who was humiliated, crucified on a cross. Let me tell you who the prophet was talking about. His name is Jesus Christ. And he wants you, he wants you to be a part of his promise. He wants you to be a part of the kingdom of God. He wants you to be a part of his family, his bloodline, eternal life. See, we can go through life with all the different labels that try to put on us, people try to put on us, right? This man bore labels of Ethiopian and eunuch. But there's only one that really matters. And it's about your relationship with God. It doesn't matter what all those other people think. Focus on one thing. Your relationship with God. And so this Ethiopian man is able to connect with Jesus. 
Philip is able to tell him, hey, what you've experienced, God knows about it. And he doesn't hold it against you. Your sins are forgiven. You believe. You too can be baptized. And so as they're going along and Philip's teaching them, he looks up, hey, look, there's some water. What's to keep me from being baptized? And Philip says, nothing. Let's do this. And so they go to the water. They go down into the water. They come up. And <coughs> Philip disappears. Philip disappeared. This guy is now on his own, so to speak, but in the power of the Spirit to go back to Ethiopia. And he goes praising and giving thanks. Remember, let's back up a little bit. Remember the very beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus is talking to the disciples and he tells them, it's also at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28. Jesus gives instructions to the apostles and to the church. He says, go therefore to all peoples, to all nations, to the ends of the earth and teach them and baptize them just as I've taught you and baptized you. So that's the mission that God has put in place, that Jesus has put in place, and persecution is not going to stop it. Death is not going to stop it, right? In fact, if it takes an angel or a messenger from God to keep it going, it's going to happen, right? And it, this man, this Ethiopian, gets sent by the power of the Spirit back to Africa, praising and thanking God. Notice he doesn't need Philip anymore, right? Why? Because God, the Spirit, is with him. So I think there's kind of two things here. The first one is, are you putting too high of a bar for yourself of how you can share the good news? Like, have you come up with excuse after excuse after excuse of maybe you don't know enough to teach a Sunday school class, or maybe you don't uh, do this or that enough, or you know, I'm too old to work with kids, or I'm too young, or fill in the blank, whatever it is. What we see in this Ethiopian is he goes praising and giving thanks. Why? Because God loved him. When everybody else found reasons not to, God loved him. And he went praising and thanking God. Can you get back in touch with that spirit? Can you be so overcome and overwhelmed with God's love that joy shines from your face and people sense it in your life. Go praising and thanking God. The second thing is this. Can you get back in touch with the Spirit? Instead of just trying to maintain the status quo, can you begin listening again and paying attention to the coincidences and opportunities all around. 
Because I know how it goes. We get our agenda and we focus. But how many opportunities to love one another do we miss? Can you open up again to the prompting of the Spirit? That person next to you in the grocery line, right? Or even the cashier, or a coworker, or a friend, a neighbor. It could be dangerous even sometimes, right? It was dangerous for Philip to go out on the road alone. But what was more important for the church than their own life was to spread the good news of Christ. Will you get back in touch with that spirit? It says, God, it's more important for me to listen and to obey you than anything else. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for this teaching from Scripture today. May that same attitude that was in Philip and the early church be in us. You have called us to spread the good news, not only with our words and our preaching and teaching, but also by our deeds and our action. Help us to quit making excuses and to be aware and alive in the present moment and see the opportunities around us. And may we follow your nudge, your Holy Spirit. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be poured out upon all of us gathered here that have heard your word today. May, be we, may we be overwhelmed again by the truth of your grace that you have forgiven our sins and you have put joy in our hearts. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. One of the things that, one of the ways that we remember the great joy that Jesus has put inside of us, that his power and his spirit are always with us, is through this gift of Holy Communion. We remember how Jesus had gathered together with his disciples, how he took bread, broke the bread, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, remember me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, he gave thanks to God and said, drink from this, all of you. This is, this is the blood of the new covenant, my blood, poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, remember me. And so in remembrance of these mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we are called to take him in so that we can live and show the world that Jesus is alive outwardly to offer our lives as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God let us pray Holy Spirit be poured out upon all of us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood by your spirit, God, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes again in final victory and we all feast at his heavenly banquet. All honor and glory are yours, almighty God, 
now and forever. And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.